0: Chapter Number Fifteen of Woodstock or the Cavalier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Woodstock or the Cavalier by Sir Walter Scott. CHAPTER Fifteen. Now the wasted brands do glow While the screech-owl, sounding loud, Puts the wretch that lies in woe In remembrance of a shroud. Now it is the time of night That the graves, all gaping wide, Every one lets out its spite In the churchway pass to glide Midsummer night's dream. Before the gate of the palace the guards were now doubled. Everett demanded the reason of this from the corporal, whom he found in the hall with the soldiers, sitting or sleeping around a great fire, maintained at the expense of the carved chairs and benches, with fragments of which it was furnished. "'Why, verily,' answered the man, the corps de garde, as your worship says, will be harassed to pieces by such duty nevertheless fear hath gone abroad among us and no man will mount guard alone we have drawn in however one or two of our outposts from branbury and elsewhere and we are to have a relief from oxford to morrow everard continued minute inquiries concerning the sentinels that were posted within as well as without the lodge, and found that as they had been stationed under the eye of Harrison himself, the rules of prudent discipline had been exactly observed in the distribution of the posts. There remained nothing, therefore, for Colonel Everard to do but remembering his own adventure of the evening to recommend that an additional sentinel should be placed with a companion if judged indispensable in that vestibule or ante-room from which the long gallery where he had met with the reconnoiter and other suites of apartments diverged the corporal respectively promised all obedience to his orders the serving-men being called appeared also in double force Everett demanded to know whether the commissioners had gone to bed, or whether he could speech with them. They are in their bedroom, forsooth, replied one of the fellows, but I think they be not yet undressed. What, said Everard. are Colonel Desborough and Master Bletson both in the same sleeping apartment? Their honors have so chosen it, said the man, and their honors secretaries remain upon guard all night is it the fashion to double guards all over the house said wildrake had i a glimpse of tolerably good-looking housemaid now i should know how to fall into the fashion peaceful said everard and where are the mayor and master holdenough the mayor is returned to the borough on horseback behind the trooper who goes to oxford for the reinforcement and the man of the steeple-house hath quartered himself in the chamber which colonel desborough had last night being that in which he is most likely to meet thee your honor understands the lord pity us we are a harassed family and where be general harrison's knaves said tompkins that they do not marshal him to his apartment "'Hear, hear, hear, Master Tompkins,' said three fellows, pressing forward, with the same consternation on their faces, which seemed to pervade the whole inhabitants of Woodstock. "'Away with you, then,' said Tompkins. "'Speak not to his worship. You see he is not in the humour. "'Indeed,' observed Colonel Everard, "'he looks singularly wan, his features seem writhen as by a palsy stroke, and although he was talking so fast when we came along, he hath not opened his mouth since we came to the light. It is his manner after such visitations, said Tompkins, give his honour your arms, Zedeah and Jonathan, to lead him off. I will follow instantly. You, Nicodemus, carry to wait upon me. It is not well walking alone in this mansion master Tompkins said Everett I have heard of you often as a sharp intelligent man tell me fairly are you in earnest afraid of anything supernatural haunting this house I would be loath to run the chance sir says Tompkins very gravely by looking on my worshipful master you may form a guess how the living look after they have spoken with the dead he bowed low and took his leave every proceeded to the chamber which the two remaining commissioners had for comfort's sake chosen to inhabit in company they were preparing for bed as he went into their apartment both started as the door opened both rejoiced when they saw it was only everard who entered hark ye hither said Bleetsen, pulling him aside sawest thou ever as equal to desborough the fellow is as big as an ox and as timorous as a sheep he has insisted on my sleeping here to protect him shall we have a merry night aunt ha huh? we will if thou wilt take the third bed which was prepared for Harrison, but he has gone out, like a moon-calf, to look for the valley of Armageddon in the park of Woodstock. "'General Harrison has returned with me but now,' said Everard, "'Nay, but I shall live. He comes not into our apartment,' says Desborough, overhearing his answer. "'No man that has been supping for aught I know with the devil has a right to sleep among christian folk he does not propose so says everard he sleeps as i understand apart and alone not quite alone i dare say says desborough for harrison hath a sort of attraction for goblins they fly round him like moths about a candle but i prithee good everard do thou stay with us I know not how it is, but although thou hast not thy religion always in thy mouth, nor speakest many hard words about it, like Harrison, nor makest long preachments, like a certain most honorable relation of mine, who shall be nameless, ye somehow I feel myself safer in thy company than with any of them. As for this Blutzen, he is such a mere blasphemer that I fear the devil will carry him away ere morning. Did you ever hear such a paltry coward, said Bletson apart to Everett? Do tarry, however, mine honoured colonel. I know your zeal to assist the distressed, and you see Desborough as in that predicament, that he will require him more than one example to prevent him thinking of ghosts and fiends i am sorry i cannot oblige you gentlemen said everard but i have settled my mind to sleep in victor lee's apartment so i wish you good night and if you would repose without disturbance i would advise that you command yourselves during the watches of the night to him unto whom night is even as midday i had intended to have spoke with you this evening on the subject of my being here but i will defer the conference till to-morrow when i think i will be able to show you excellent reasons for leaving woodstock we have seen plenty such already says desborough for one i came here to serve the estate with some moderate advantage to myself for my trouble. But if I am set upon my head again to-night, as I was the night before, I would not stay longer to gain a king's crown, for I am sure my neck would be unfitted to bear the weight of it. "'Good-night!' exclaimed Everard, and he was about to go, when Bletson again pressed close, and whispered to him, "'Hark thee, Colonel!' you know my friendship for thee i do implore thee to leave the door of thy apartment open that if thou meetest with any disturbance i may hear thee call and be with thee upon the very instant do this dear everard my fears for thee will keep me awake else for i know that notwithstanding your excellent sense YOU ENTERTAIN SOME OF THOSE SUPERSTITION IDEAS, WHICH WE SUCK IN WITH OUR MOTHER'S MILK, AND WE CONSTITUTE THE GROUND OF OUR FEARS IN SITUATIONS LIKE THE PRESENT. THEREFORE LEAVE THY DOOR OPEN, IF YOU LOVE ME, THAT YOU MAY HAVE READY ASSISTANCE FROM ME IN CASE OF NEED. MY MASTER, SAID WALDRAKE, TRUST FIRST IN HIS BIBLE, SIR, and then in his good sword he has no idea that the devil can be baffled by the charm of two men lying in one room still lest that the foul fiend can be argued out of existence by the nelphidians of the rota everett seized his imprudent friend by the collar and dragged him off as he was speaking keeping fast hold of him till they were both in the chamber of Victor Lee, where they had slept on a former occasion, even then he continued to hold Wildrake until the servant had arranged the lights and was dismissed from the room. Then, letting him go, addressed him with the upbraiding question: "Art thou not a prudent and sagacious person who, in times like these, seekest ever opportunity to argue yourself into a broil?" or embroil yourself in an argument out on you a out on me indeed said the cavalier out on me for a poor tame-spirited creature that submits to be bandied about in this manner by a man who is neither better born nor better bred than myself i tell thee mark you make an unfair use of your advantages over me why will you not let me go from you and live and die after my own fashion? Because before we had been a week separate, I should hear of your dying after the fashion of a dog. Come, my good friend, what madness was in thee to fall foul on Harrison, and then to enter into useless argument with Bletson? Why, we are in the devil's house. I think, and I would willingly give the landlord his due wherever I travel, to have sent him Harrison or Bletson now, just as a lunch to stop his appetite, till Crom. Hush! Stone walls have ears, said Everard, looking around him. Here stands thy night drink. Look to thy arms, for we must be as careful as if the Avenger of Blood was behind us. Yonder is thy bed, and I, as thou seest, have one prepared in the parlour. The door only divides us, which I will leave open, in case thou shouldest holler for assistance, as yonder Newfilden hath it. But how hast thou got all this so well put in order, good patron? I gave the steward Tomkins notice of my purpose to sleep here a strange fellow that said wildrake and i judge has taken measure of every one's foot all seems to pass through his hands he is i have understood replied everard one of the men formed by the times has a ready gift of preaching and expounding which keeps him in high terms with the independents and recommends himself to the more moderate people by his intelligence and activity has his sincerity ever been doubted says Wildrake. never that i have heard of said the colonel on the contrary he has been familiarly called honest joe and trusty tompkins for my part i believe his sincerity has always kept pace with his interest but come finish thy cup and to bed what all emptied at one draught? At Zuckers, yes, my vow forbids me to make two aunt, but never fear, the nightcap will only warm my brain, not clog it, so man or devil, give me notice if you are disturbed, and rely on me in a twinkling. So saying, the cavalier retreated into his separate apartment, and Colonel Everard, taking off the most cumbrous part of his dress lay down in his hose and doublet and composed himself to rest He was awakened from sleep by a slow and solemn strain of music Which died away at a distance? He started up and felt for his arms which he found close beside him his temporary bed being without curtains he could look around him without difficulty but as there remained in the chimney only a few red embers of the fire which he had arranged before he went to sleep it was impossible he could discern anything he felt therefore in spite of his natural courage that undefined and thrilling species of tremor which attends a sense that danger is near and an uncertainty concerning its cause and character reluctant as he was to yield belief to supernatural occurrences we have already said he was not absolutely incredulous as perhaps even in this more sceptical age there are many fewer complete and absolute infidels on this particular than give themselves out for such uncertain whether he had not dreamed of these sounds which seemed yet in his ears he was unwilling to risk the raillery of his friend by summoning him to his assistance he sat up therefore in his bed not without experiencing that nervous agitation to which brave men as well as cowards are subject with this difference that one sinks under it like the vine under a hailstorm, and the other collects his energies to shake it off, as the cedar of Lebanon is said to elevate its boughs to disperse the snow which accumulates upon them. The story of Harrison, in its own absolute despite, and notwithstanding a secret suspicion which he had of trick or conveyance, returned on his mind at this dead and solitary hour harrison he remembered had described the vision by a circumstance of its appearance different from that which his own remark had been calculated to suggest to the mind of the visionary that bloody napkin always pressed to his side was then a circumstance present either to his bloodily eye or to that his agitated imagination did then the murdered revisit the living haunts of those who had forced them from the stage with all their sins unaccounted for and if they did might not the same permission authorize other visitations of a similar nature to warn to instruct to punish rash are they was his conclusion incredulous who receive as truth every tale of the kind but no less rash may it be to limit the power of the creator over the works which he has made and to suppose that by the permission of the author of nature the laws of nature may not in peculiar cases and for high purposes be temporarily suspended while these thoughts pass through everett's mind feelings unknown to him even when he stood first on the rough and perilous edge of battle gained ground upon him he feared he knew not what and where an open and discernible peril would have drawn out his courage the absolute uncertainty of his situation increased his sense of the danger he felt an almost irresistible desire to spring from his bed and heap fuel on the dying embers expecting by the blaze to see some strange sight in his chamber he was also strongly tempted to awaken wildrate but shame stronger than fear itself checked those impulses what should it be thought that markham everard held one of the best soldiers who had drawn a sword in this sad war markham everard who had obtained such distinguished rank in the army of the parliament though so young in years was afraid of remaining by himself in a twilight room at midnight it never should be said this was however no charm for his unpleasant current of thought there rushed on his mind the various traditions of victor lee's chamber which though he had often despised them as vague unauthenticated and inconsistent rumors engendered by ancient superstition and transmitted from generation to generation by loquacious credulity had something in them which did not tend to ally the present unpleasant state of his nerves then when he recollected the events of that very afternoon the weapon pressed against his throat and the strong arm which threw him backward on the floor, if the remembrance served to contradict the idea of flitting phantoms and unreal daggers, it certainly induced him to believe that there was in some part of this extensive mansion a party of cavaliers or malignants harbored who might arise in the night, overpower the guards, and execute upon them all, but on harrison in particular as one of the regicide judges that vengeance which was so eagerly thirsted for by the attached followers of the slaughtered monarch he endeavored to console himself on this subject by the number and position of the guards yet still was dissatisfied with himself for not having taken more exact precautions and for keeping an extorted promise of silence which may consign so many of his party to the danger of assassination. These thoughts, connected with his military duties, awakened another train of reflections. He bethought himself that all he could do now was to visit the sentries, and ascertain they were awake, alert, on the watch, and so situated, that in time of need they might be ready to support each other this better befits me he thought than to be here like a child frightening myself with the old woman's legend which i have laughed at when a boy what although old victor lee was a sacrilegious man as common report goes and brewed ale in the font which he brought from the ancient places of holyrood while church and building were in flames and what although his eldest son, when a child, scalded to death in the same vessel? How many churches have been demolished since his time? How many fonts desecrated? So many, indeed, that were the vengeance of heaven to visit such aggressions in supernatural b- manner. No corner in England, no, not the most petty parish church, but would have its apparition hush these are idle fancies unworthy especially to be entertained by those educated to believe that sanctity resides in the intention and the act not in the buildings or fonts or the form of worship as thus he called together the articles of his calvinistic creed the bell of the great clock a token seldom silent in such narratives told three and was immediately followed by the hoarse call of the sentinels through vault and gallery upstairs and beneath challenging and answering each other with the usual watchword all's well their voices mingled with the deep boom of the bell yet ceased before that was silent and when they had died away the tingling echo of the prolonged knell was scarcely audible Ere yet that last distinct tingling, and finally subsided into silence, it seemed as if again was awakened, and everett could hardly judge at first whether a new echo had taken up the falling cadence or whether some other had separate sound was disturbing anew the silence to which the deep knell had as its voice ceased. Consigned the ancient mansion and the woods around it But the doubt was soon cleared up The musical tones which had mingled with the dying echoes of the knell seemed at first to prolong and Afterwards to survive them a wild strain of melody beginning at a distance and growing louder as it advanced Seemed to pass from room to room from cabinet to gallery from hall to bower through the deserted and dishonored ruins of the ancient residence of so many sovereigns, and as it approached no soldier gave alarm, nor did any of the numerous guests of various degrees, who spent an unpleasant and terrified night in the ancient mansion, seem to dare announce to each other the inexplicable cause of apprehension. Everett's excited state of mind did not permit him to be so passive. The sounds approached so nigh that it seemed they were performing in the very next apartment a solemn service for the dead, when he gave the alarm by calling loudly to his trusty attendant and friend Wildrake, who slumbered in the next chamber with only a door betwixt them, and even that ajar. Wildrake! Wildrake! Up! Up dost thou not hear the alarm there was no answer from wildrake though the musical sounds which now rung through the apartment as if the performers had actually been within its precincts would have been sufficient to awaken a sleeping person even without the shout of his comrade and patron alarm roger wildrake alarm again called everard Getting out of bed and grasping his weapons get a light and cry alarm There was no answer his voice died away as the sound of the music seemed also to die and the same Soft sweet voice which still to his thinking resembled that of Alice Lee was heard in his apartment and As he thought at no distance from him your comrade will not answer said the low soft voice those only hear the alarm whose consciences feel the call again this mummery said everard i am better armed than i was of late and but for the sound of that voice the speaker had bought his trifling dear it was singular we may observe in passing that the instant the distinct sounds of the human voice were heard by everard all idea of supernatural inference was at an end and the charm by which he had been formerly fettered appeared to be broken so much is the influence of imaginary or superstitious terror dependent so far as respects strong judgments at least upon what is vague or ambiguous and so readily do distinct tones and express ideas bring such judgments back to the current of ordinary life the voice returned answer as addressing his thoughts as well as his words we laugh at the weapons thou thinkest should terrify us over the guardians of Woodstock they have no power fire if thou wilt and try the effect of thy weapons but no it is not our purpose to harm thee though art of a falcon breed and noble in thy disposition though unreclaimed and ill nurtured though hauntest with kites and carrion crows wing thy flight from hence on the morrow for if thou tarrest with the bats owls vultures and ravens which have thought to nestle here thou wilt invariably share their fate away then that these halls may be swept and garnished for the reception of those who have a better right to inhabit them. Everard answered in a raised voice, Once more I warn you, think not to defy me in vain. I am no child to be frightened by goblins' tales, and no coward, armed as I am to be alarmed at the threats of a banditti. If I give you a moment's indulgence, it is for the sake of dear and misguided friends who may be concerned with this dangerous gamble. No, I can bring a troop of soldiers round the castle who will search its most inward recesses for the author of this audacious frolic, and if that search should fail, it will cost but a few barrels of gunpowder to make the mansion a heap of ruins." And bury under them the authors of such an ill-judged pastime you speak proudly sir colonel said another voice similar to that harsher and stronger tone by which he had been addressed in the gallery try your courage in this direction you should not dare me twice said colonel everard i had a glimpse of light to tape aim by as he spoke a sudden gleam of light was thrown with a brilliancy which almost dazzled the speaker showing distinctly a form somewhat resembling that of victor lee as represented in his picture holding in one hand a lady completely veiled and in the other his leading staff or truncheon both figures were animated and as it appeared standing within six feet of him were it not for the woman said everard i would not be thus mortally dared spare not for the female form but do your worst replied the same voice i defy you repeat your defiance when i have counted thrice said everard and take the punishment of your insolence once i have cocked my pistol twice I never missed my aim by all that is sacred i fire if you do not withdraw when i pronounce the next number i will shoot you dead where you stand i am yet unwilling to shed blood i give you another chance of flight once twice thrice everard aimed at the bosom and discharged his pistol the figure waved its arm in an attitude of scorn, and a loud laugh arose, during which the light, as gradually growing weaker, danced and glimmered upon the apparition of the aged knight, and then disappeared. Everard's life-blood ran cold to his heart. Had he been a human mold, he thought, the bullet must have pierced him, but I have neither will nor power to fight with supernatural beings. The feeling of oppression was now so strong as to be actually sickening. He groped his way, however, to the fireside and flung on the embers which were yet gleaming a handful of dry fuel. It presently blazed and afforded him light to see the room in every direction. He looked cautiously, almost timidly, around and half expected some horrible phantom to become visible. But he saw nothing save the old furniture the reading-desk and other articles which had been left in the same state as sir when henry lee departed he felt uncontrollable desire mingled with such repugnance to look at the portrait of the ancient knight which the form he had seen so strongly resembled he hesitated betwixt the opposing feelings but at length snatched with desperate resolution the taper which he had extinguished and relighted it. Ere the blaze of the fuel had again died away, he held it up to the ancient portrait of Victor Lee and gazed on it with eager curiosity, not unmingled with fear. Almost the childish terrors of his earlier days returned. And he thought the severe pale eyes of the ancient warrior followed his and menaced him with its displeasure. And although he quickly argued himself out of such an absurd belief, yet the mixed feelings of his mind were expressed in words that seemed half addressed to the ancient portrait. Soul of my mother's ancestor, he said, be it for weal or for woe, by designing men or by supernatural beings that these ancient halls are disturbed i am resolved to leave them on the morrow i rejoice to hear that with all my soul said a voice behind him he turned saw a tall figure in white with a sort of turban upon its head and dropping the candle in the exertion instantly grappled with it though at least art palpable, he said, palpable answered he, whom he grasped so strongly, Sedeath death methinks you might know that without the risk of choking me, and if you lose me not, I'll show you that two can play at the game of wrestling, Roger Waldrake said, Everard, letting the cavalier loose and stepping back, Roger Wildrake, eh truly did you take me for roger bacon come to help you raise the devil for the place smells of sulphur consumedly is it the pistol i fired did you hear it why yes it was the first thing waked me for that nightcap which i pulled on made me sleep like a dormouse pshaw i feel my brains giddy with it yet and wherefore came you not on the instant I never needed help more I came as fast as I could answered Wildrake but it was some time ere I got my senses collected for I was dreaming of that cursed field at Nasby and then the door of my room was shut and hard to open till I played the knocksmith with my foot how it was open when I went to bed said Everard. it was locked when I came out of bed though said wildrake and i marvel you heard me not when i forced it open my mind was occupied otherwise said everard well said wildrake but what has happened here am i bolt upright and ready to fight if this yawning fit will give me leave mother's red cap mightest is weaker than i drank last night by a bushel to a barleycorn i have quaffed the very elixir of malt ha ya yeah. and some opiate besides i should think said everard very like very like less than the pestle-shot would not waken me even me who with by an ordinary grace cup sleep as lightly as a maiden on the first of may when she watches for the earliest beam to go to gather dew." but what are you about to do next nothing answered everard nothing said wildrake in surprise i speak it says colonel everard less for your information than for that of others who may hear me that i will leave the lodge this morning and if it is possible remove the commissioners hark said Waldrake, do you not hear some noise like the distant sound of the applause of a theatre? The goblins of this place rejoice in your departure. I shall leave Woodstock, said Everard, to the occupation of my uncle, Sir Henry Lee, and his family, if they choose to resume it, not that I am frightened into this as a concession to the series of artifices which have been played off on this occasion. But solely because such was my intention from the beginning but let me warn he added raising his voice let me warn the parties concerned in this combination that though it may pass off successfully on a fool like desborough a visionary like harrison a coward like bletson hear a voice distinctly spoke as standing near them or a wise moderate and resolute person like colonel everard by heaven the voice came from the picture said wildrake drawing his sword i will pink his plated armor for him offer no violence said everard startled at the interruption but resuming with firmness what he was saying let those engaged be aware that however this string of artifices may be immediately successful it must walk closely looked into, be attended with the punishment of all concerned, the total demolition of Woodstock, and the irremediable downfall of the family of Lee. Let all concerned think of this, and desist in time. He paused, and almost expected a reply, but none such came. "'It is a very odd thing,' said Wildrake. "'But ha! my brain cannot compass it just now. It whirls round like a toast in a bowl of muscadine. I must sit down, ha ya, and discuss it at leisure. Gramercy, good elbow chair. So saying he threw himself or rather sank gradually down on a large easy chair, which had been often pressed by the weight of stout Sir Henry Lee and in an instant was sound asleep everard was far from feeling the same inclination for slumber yet his mind was relieved of the apprehension of any farther visitation that night for he considered his treaty to evacuate woodstock as made known to and accepted in all probability by those whom the intrusion of the commissioners had induced to take such singular measures for expelling them his opinion which had for a time bent towards a belief in something supernatural in the disturbances had now returned to a more rational mode of accounting for them by dexterous combination for which such a mansion as Woodstock afforded so many facilities he heaped the hearth with fuel lighted the candle, and examined poor Waldrake's situation, adjusted him as easily in the chair as he could, the cavalier stirring his limbs no more than an infant. His situation went far, in his patron's opinion, to infer trick and confederacy, for ghosts have no occasion to drug men's possets. He threw himself on the bed, and while he thought these strange circumstances over a sweet and low strain of music stole through the chamber the words good night good night good night thrice repeated each time in a softer and more distant tone seeming to assure him that the goblins and he were at truce if not at peace and that he had no more disturbance to expect that night he had scarcely the courage to call out a good night, for, after all his conviction of the existence of a trick, it was so well performed as to bring with it a feeling of fear, just like what an audience experienced during the performance of a tragic scene, which they know to be unreal, and which yet affects their passions by its near approach to nature. Sleep overtook him at last, and left him not till broad daylight on the ensuing morning. End of chapter 15 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.